Father, what great news we have in your word. And uh, today, Lord, you're going to talk to us about this everlasting kingdom and how you've opened the door for all of us, for, for every single person on this earth, there's an opportunity to go through that door uh, uh, that's provided through the blood of Jesus Christ and walk right into your throne room, into your everlasting kingdom. Lord, for, for those of us who believe and who have been born again, uh, that door's wide open for us right now, and, and we can come spiritually to your throne, to, to the throne of Jesus Christ, and Lord, we can have all our sins washed away. Lord, there we find power and, and grace to live uh, the Christian life the way you would have us to live it. And, and Lord, so, so the question is, are, are, we, are we living that life that you've called us to live? Are we living in, with using the divine power that you've given us? Are, is, is our hearts or our souls fertile ground that's, that's, that's bearing fruit, Lord? And, and, and we want to look at ourselves today and, and do a close uh, examination of, of just where we're at with you and, and where we're going and where we can be through your power. So, uh, Lord, just teach us through your word today. Your word is truth. Uh, uh, help us through your truth to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for, Lord, so we can live in a uh, fruitful, uh, growing relationship with him. So I ask that you teach us by your by the power of your Holy Spirit today, the things you would have us to learn, I ask that in the name of Jesus. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but the disease that I dread the most getting is a cold. I hate colds. A bad, there's nothing that makes you more miserable than a bad cold. I remember back in August when I spent five days in the hospital and with a really serious heart problem, and and uh, I really I remember laying in bed one night and thanking the Lord. I said, "This is really bad, but at least I don't have a cold." <laughs> Thank you, Lord, that I don't have a cold. I mean, I don't care what kind of junk you buy at the pharmacy, how many pills you take, and how many remedies you think you're buying, and how many antibiotics the doctor give you gives you, you're not going to fix a cold because there is no cure for the common cold. Well, last week we talked about spiritual illnesses. What ails us spiritually? And Peter gave us in 2 Peter a spiritual diagnosis. And that's what we were leaving off last time. But before he gave us the diagnosis, he told us what we should look like if we're healthy. If you're healthy spiritually, this is what you should look like. And then you can examine yourself if you want to. He says in verse number five, he says that we're to be giving all diligence to our faith. In other words, we're to be growing in faith and we're to add to our faith virtue and we're to add to our virtue knowledge and to our knowledge self-control and to self-control patience or perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness, phileo love, or brotherly kindness, and then he tops it all off with the toughest standard of all. He says we're to add to phileo love, agape love. Man, you talk about a tough standard for a healthy Christian. Are you exercising agape love? What's agape love? It's divine love. It's unselfish love. 
It lo it's love that puts the needs of others before our own needs. We're selfish people by nature, so it's a really difficult thing to do. But one of the ways you measure whether or not you're a healthy Christian or not are, is the fact, are you growing in love? Are you growing in giving to others? Are you growing in being less selfish? And then he says in verse number eight, for if these things are yours, these things is, and he's going to use these things several times in the book. And when he uses these things, he's talking about faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and phileo love and agape love. He says, for if these things are yours and abound, really a better translation there is that if you are advancing in these things, if you are advancing in these things, you will neither be barren. And remember I said last week that the word barren kind of gives you the indication of a desert, but, it, but your soul is not barren. If you've been born again, you've been given, if you look back in verse number four, you've been given the divine nature. You've been given the divine, you've been given the very life of God. Now, can your soul be any more fertile than that? Your soul, if you're a born-again believer, is not barren. Your soul is fertile. But you can have fertile soil and it be a wasteland. And that's really the word that's being used right here. It can be useless. Your soul can be absolutely useless if you aren't advancing in these things. And you won't be fruitful. Look at the last part of, part of that verse. Nor unfruitful, bearing fruit. You want to be bearing fruit in the knowledge. And that word knowledge is epinosis, so it means knowledge upon knowledge. It means a deep knowledge. The only, the, the only way you get a deep knowledge of someone is through a relationship. So you should be advancing, and your soul should be, should, should be fertile, and you should be fruitful in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a healthy Christian. I mean, a healthy Christian has all of these things, and their soul is fertile, and their, bear, their soul is bearing fruit in their relationship with Jesus Christ. So just ask yourself, do I have this fertile soul? Am I bearing fruit for the kingdom of God through my relationship with Jesus Christ? If I'm not advancing these things and I'm not doing the other things I just talked about, then I'm a sick Christian. I'm sick. And I think if we honestly look at ourselves, if we honestly diagnose ourselves, I mean, I don't think any of us are where we should be. In fact, as I look at the church, the American church today, let me speak in general here. I'm not talking about Calvary Chapel, although I can, I can see some of that in Calvary Chapel. But and I can see some, a lot of it in myself. And I, and, I, and I look at the church today, and we're looking pretty pale. We're looking pretty sick. Why are we so sick? Why are we so sick? Well, Peter tells us why in verse 9. He says, for he who lacks these things, what are these things? Faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly love and agape love. He who isn't advancing in these things is short-sighted. He gives us two reasons for our illness, even to blindness. I mean, we're really short-sighted. That word short-sighted is the word myopia. 
from which we get the medical term myopia, which means nearsightedness. All of you know what nearsightedness is. You can only see close up. You can't see far away. You can't see things far away. And so the reason most of us are sick is that we're short-sighted. We have spiritual myopia. That means that our focus is on this present material world. And you honestly ask yourself, where's your focus? Where do you live your life? Paul says we're to pray without ceasing. What did he mean by that? He means we're always to be walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Our focus is always supposed to be on the Lord. We're, also, we're, always, we're, we're supposed to always live our lives as if we're present with the Lord. Our lives are hidden with Christ, the Bible tells us. But if our focus, and, and everybody's got a, a family, and everybody's got problems, and they got their jobs, and they got material things, and, and those things aren't necessarily bad. But if our focus is primarily on those things, then we have spiritual myopia. And, and when we have this nearsightedness, we forget the future. We forget the Lord, and we go about our business, and we're sick because we're trying to rely on ourselves instead of relying on the Lord and the promises of the Lord. And then there's another problem. Look at what he says. Now, by the way, before I, before I go to the, that problem, remember I said last week, now how can you diagnose that? How do you know if you have spiritual myopia? Well, I'll tell you the best way. You're going to get a bitter spirit. Man, whenever my spirit is bitter, you know why my spirit is bitter? Because I am focused on this present material world. I am only looking at my circumstances. I'm not looking to the Lord. I'm not looking to the promises of the Lord. My focus is on my, what I can see with my physical eyes. And so I get a bitter spirit, and a bitter spirit is an unloving spirit. So if you've got an unloving spirit, you know, and I I think we bounce back and forth between these things, but at times we have this unloving spirit. I mean, we love, we have phileo love, and we love those people that are our friends, but we don't have agape love because we have spiritual myopia. And and anybody, and and I'll tell you, you if you want to measure it, it's, it's measured by your willingness to serve others. And I'm not talking about just here in this church. I'm talking about in this world. Are you willing to serve others? And especially are you willing to serve those people you don't like? Are you really willing to serve them? If you're not, then then you're sick spiritually. Then the second thing, look look at the last part of this verse. He says, and we've forgotten what Jesus has done for us. We've forgotten that he's cleansed us from our sins. And and I said last week, that's like having spiritual Alzheimer's. We we, we forget the great things that Christ has done for us. And let me tell you how you know that, that that this is one of your problems. When you feel guilty all the time, you feel condemned all the time. And you feel like that, you don't have to raise your hand. Let me tell you what, the devil is the accuser. That's what the word Satan means. And so he's going to do his best to make you feel condemned and guilty. Because if he can make you feel condemned and guilty, he pulls you out of the race. He pulls you off to a self-pity party. 
And so when you're feeling condemned all the time, you know why? Because you've forgotten what Christ has done for you. You know what he did for you when he died on that cross? He paid for every single one of your sins, past, present, and future. You are totally forgiven in Jesus Christ. All your sins have been forgiven, we're told in Colossians 2. They, the law that was against you has been nailed to the cross. You've forgotten that. When you're condemned, just remember what the Lord has done for you. Say, devil, get away from me. I am perfected forever in Jesus Christ. I can't get any better. So you can't condemn me. But, if, but if, when we're feeling that, see, we're forgetting what Christ has done for us. And then the other thing that happens when we forget what Christ has done for us, pride sets in. You know what happens? We try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and, and we try to fix our own spiritual problems. If you're trying to fix your own spiritual problem, it's because you've forgotten what Christ has done for you, what he's doing for you, and what he's going to do for you. That's the only reason you're doing that, because if you really understand what Christ has done for you and what he wants to do for you and what he's going to do for you, you're going to trust him to fix yourself. You're not going to try to fix yourself. And the worst thing, and I think that causes the greatest spiritual illness in the church is what causes the greatest spiritual illness in this country. And that is ingratitude. When you forget what Christ has done for you, when you're murmuring and complaining against God because you don't like your situation, you know what you've done? you got spiritual Alzheimer's. You've forgotten where he's pulled you up. He's pulled you out, what pit he's pulled you out of. And I have to remind myself sometimes when, when I'm murmuring and complaining about my situation, Lord, this isn't fair, this isn't right. Whoa, you've forgotten where you were when Christ saved you. You've forgotten what he's done for you since you've been saved. Who are you to question God's judgment? Who are you to murmur and complain against the Lord? And when we do that, it's a big sign that we've got fever, spiritual fever. We are really sick when we do that. I do it on occasion, on lots of occasions. And, I, and that's a sign that I'm spiritually sick when I'm doing that. And I've got to get back in the Word and I've got to get myself well. We're going to talk about the cure here in just a few minutes. Well, I, all I did with all of that is get you where we left off last week. And I really left you in a tough spot beat you up really bad and said, get out of here. You know, go on. You're going about your business now. You've been, you're sick. You're dying. Get out of here. That really, I really hate to do that to you because that's not the way the Bible works, is it? The Bible is what? It's good news. It's good news. And the good news about the Bible is this. Wherever there's an illness, there's a great cure. Whatever ails you, God's got a cure for what ails you. I don't care how sick you are. I mean, you can't cure the common cold, but you can cure. You can't cure it, but God can cure your spiritual illness. Now, so if I'm spiritually barren, and I'm, I, I seem to be wasting this divine nature that God's given me, this fertile field, and I'm not bearing fruit in my relationship with the Lord. If I seem estranged from the Lord, I don't seem close to the Lord, then what's the cure? What's the cure for all of that? We want to know the cure. What's the cure? Well, it depends on how sick you are. If you're dead spiritually, you've got some work to do. I mean, if you're dead spiritually, you're, you're in trouble. 
But you know what the good news is about the, about the Bible is? About the Word of God? God can cure anything, even if you're spiritually dead. I mean, I was spiritually dead when I got saved, and you were spiritually dead when you got saved. So there's a cure for everything. And that's Peter makes this warning here. So the first thing you want to do when you're looking for a cure is to figure out how sick you are. And if you're dead, you need to fix that right away. And so look at what he says in verse number 10. He says, therefore, therefore, since, hey, you can be really sick. Therefore, since you want to be advancing in these things and be sure of your salvation, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. What's your call? It's your call to salvation. What's your election? That's whether or not God has chosen you to be saved or not. He might not have chosen you to be saved. You might be here today and you're not chosen to be saved. Ooh, wait a minute, Pastor. Let me, let me finish. Hear me out all the way through. I'm chosen. I'm one of the chosen frozen. No, I am chosen. But most of you are chosen. But some of you might not be chosen. That's, that's a scary thought. So he says, brethren, be even more diligent. I mean, you're to, well, how does Paul put it? You're to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The very first thing you want to make sure of is that you're saved. Be diligent to make your call and election sure. If you do these things, you'll never stumble. You'll, you won't doubt your salvation. Even if you're not advancing quite as fast as you want to, even if you're a little bit spiritually sick, if you make your call and election sure, you will never stumble. You won't doubt your salvation. Now let's talk about that call and election just a minute here. Here, I don't want to leave you there. Remember what Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 24. He says, many are called, but few are chosen. If you're chosen, you're one of the few. Congratulations. If you're chosen, you're one of the few. How many are called? Many are called. How many are called? Every swinging person who's ever lived on this earth is called unto salvation. Everybody is called to salvation. Now, if you're a hyper-Calvinist here today, I'm sorry, you're wrong. But, and I'm going to tell you how you're wrong. A hyper-Calvinist would say, whoa, wait a minute. Christ only died for the elect. God only, uh, only wants to save those whom he's chosen. No, many are called. Every single person who's ever lived has been called into salvation. Let me prove that point to you right here in this little book. Go with me to chapter 3 and look down at verse number 9. We'll come back to this again later on, but let's just look at it real quickly. It says in verse number nine, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but his long servant. He's talking about his promise to come back and to, to destroy the wicked. But the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but his long suffering toward us, not willing, watch this, that any should perish. What's any mean in the Greek? Any, any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. What's all mean in the Greek? All. God doesn't want anybody to perish. God wishes that every person on this earth would come to repentance. And the only way that would even be possible would be if Christ died for the sins of the whole world, which is exactly what the Bible teaches. He died for the sins, and we'll see in 1 John, for the sins of all the world, all our sins. There's a possibility, if you look to the cross, of having all your sins forgiven. And that possibility exists for everyone because everyone's been called. Fewer chosen. Now, here's a question that, theological question that comes to my mind. If God wishes that none should perish, he's God. Then none, and this is where people who are, uh, don't believe in hell will say, uh, there is no hell because God wishes that none should perish. Okay, God wishes that none should perish. It seems to me if he's God, he gets what he wants. I mean, if I was God, I'd get everything I want. I would have the nicest Harley. I would have, you know, I would have the, I would even get me an Indian, you know, to go along with it. I mean, I would have all sorts of things. No, if I was God, hopefully I would want to see the world saved too. He wants the whole world to be saved. But you know, there are some things that God can't do. And because of the limitations he's put on himself. He gave men a choice. He gave man a choice. He gave Adam and Eve a choice. And if he's omniscient, he knew that they were going to sin. He knew that in advance. He gave them a choice. Did he wish they would sin when he gave them that choice? No, of course not. He knew what was going to happen to this world. He saw what happened in, in uh, Nice, France this week. He saw what happened in Turkey. He saw, sees what happens Everywhere he sees, he's already seen the future. He didn't want all that to happen, but he wanted man to have a choice. He wanted us to be able to choose to love him, not be forced to love him. As the hyper-Calvinists believe, you're just zapped one day, and all of a sudden you love God, and you wouldn't have loved him if you hadn't have been zapped. That's not love. No, God gives you the choice to love him. He gives you the choice. And, and, and so... If you want to be elected, if you want to be chosen, choose him. Choose him. And if you choose him, you know what you're going to find out? He chose you before the foundation of the world. How cool is that? He knew you were going to make that choice. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he knew would choose him, he predestined. He already knows every person in this room. He, how many of you are chosen? And, 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 but all of you are called. But if you don't make the choice, that's not his fault. That's your fault. The gospel has gone out into the whole world. The good news is out there. People suppress the gospel. And there becomes this generational curse because people have heard the gospel and they suppress the gospel. And when they suppress the gospel, their kids have the gospel suppressed. And you see that in our nation today, how suppressed the gospel is. I mean, they don't want the gospel anywhere. And so it, the call's still going out. It doesn't mean the gospel's not out there. And many are called. This whole earth is called. But few will be 
chosen. So, so what you need to do, I'm going back to our verse here, what we all need to do is diligently examine ourselves. First of all, I mean, are we saved? Because if you're dead, you're not going to fix deadness except by getting saved. But there is a cure for deadness. And that's simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That doesn't mean just believe facts about the Lord. That means put your faith in the Lord for everything. Our, he says, our, Peter calls Jesus our Lord and Savior. Our God and Savior. Our Lord. Jesus has to be Lord. You don't make Jesus Lord. Jesus is Lord. But he has to be Lord. You have to recognize him as Lord. You have to recognize him as Savior. You have to do things his way. You have to want to do things his way. And if you do, and you choose to do that, guess what? You're chosen. You're one of the few who have been chosen. And if you're chosen, oh man, life gets so easy, right? No. But it gets so good. So good. Look at, look at verse number 11. For, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Do you understand what he's saying right there? What he's saying right there, if you believe on Jesus Christ and you're one of the chosen, the door is slung wide open into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can walk right in and stand in his very presence spiritually. You have the divine nature spiritually. You have the divine power available to you for all life and godliness. All those things are there in the everlasting kingdom of God. And when... Did those things become available to you? Is, is, is he talking about some great future event when we get saved? No, he's talking about the day you get, got saved. Those doors were flung open by the blood of Jesus Christ. The veil was ripped in half when Jesus died on that cross. And you're given an interest into the everlasting kingdom of God. So where should our focus be? On this present material world? No, we'll be short-sighted. If our focus is on the Lord, that we're advancing in faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and agape love. I mean, we're, we're advancing in those things. And it's till you do something bad. And when you do something bad, God shuts the door. That's not what my Bible says. It's an everlasting kingdom. It's an everlasting door. That door is open to you forever. It never shuts again when you come to the Lord through Jesus Christ. Never. He's always there for you. I believe in confession of sins, but look, it's not your confession that opens that door. It's the blood of Christ that opens that door. And so, if you don't want to be doubting, you want to live in the presence of God and you want to be advancing in these things. If you're advancing in these things, that's why Paul says, I mean, Peter says, uh, make, be diligent to make your call sure. And the way you make your call sure is by look at yourself and, and diagnose yourself. Am I advancing at all in these things? And here's the way I would put it. 
I mean, some people are really advancing fast in these things. Some people had the kind of personality that they didn't have to advance as much as I did. They weren't in as much trouble as I was. They hadn't messed up their life as much as I had. So they didn't have to advance as much as I had to advance. And I might be way behind you because you started out on a higher plateau. But at the very least, if you want to figure out if you're saved or not, you take that list right there and you say, is this the way I want to be? At the very least, that's the way you want to be. You want to love people with agape love. You want to be unselfish. You want to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You want to love your family. You want to have great faith. You want to have character, virtue. You want to have self-control. Don't you want, when I blow up in traffic, you know what? I don't say, wow, that's great. (laughs) I mean, if I had machine guns on my car, I'd blow people away. That's how mad I get. I'd be worse than the terrorists. There would be no Lafayette left. Because people in Lafayette drive terribly, don't they? But when I, after I lose it, and after I blow them up if I, in my mind, I say to myself, man, that's bad. That's not who you are in Jesus Christ. That's not who we are. Now, if I wanted to do that and, and, and enjoyed doing that, something would be wrong with me. And I should be advancing in these things. Now, here, let's look at this individually. I mean, most of you, I think at this point, would say, Pastor, I know I'm saved. I know I've been given the divine nature. I know I want to do these things. I know I've changed. But I'm not advancing in these things maybe as well as I should be. Maybe my soul is a little barren. Maybe I'm not bearing fruit. You know, I'm, I'm not, I know I'm not bearing as much fruit as I want to. I know my relationship with the Lord is not as close as I want it to be. I mean, I, I, at times I do complain. At times I do have a bitter spirit. At times, you know, at times I, 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 I'm not who I should be in Jesus Christ. At times, I I forget what Christ has done for me, and I feel condemned. At times, I I try to fix myself instead of going to the Lord to to fix me. I mean, any of you can test any of those things? Then we've got to be honest. We're a little bit sick at times, if not all the time. So what's the cure? Well, if you're dead, the cure is to to find Jesus Christ. But I want to show you the cure for these things. And, And really, Peter and John both, sum up their books with a cure. They sum up their little epistles with a cure for all things. For all things that ail you spiritually, they, they, they sum it up. And that's where Peter's heading with this book. He, what he's going to do in this book, he's told you, look, do an examination. This is where you should be. This is where false teachers are going to tell you, and we're going to look at false teachers. This is going to where false teachers tell you you should be. They're going to tell you you should be healthy and wealthy and rich. I guess that wealthy and rich is the same thing. They're going to tell you you should never suffer. If you have faith, the reason you're suffering, you don't have faith. You're going to hear all sorts of false things. But if you want to get well, I'm going to tell you how to get well, Peter says. And he's going to tell us in the last two verses. So I'm going to cheat and we're going to go to the last two verses. If I held you that long, you'd get mad at me if we waited until the end of the book. Because it takes us a long time to get through a book here. So anyway, look at verse 17 and 18 with me. And listen to what he says. He says, in the last, chapter 3 of 2 Peter, verse 17, he says, You therefore 
beloved. Since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. Now, what's steadfastness? That's where you're advancing in your faith and in your virtue. You're you're making an effort to advance in these things. You're steadfast in your relationship with the Lord. It's not your efforts that'll do it. It's, It's your steadfastness in your relationship with the Lord. So he says, beware lest you fall from your steadfastness. Now, how do you fall from your steadfastness? Being led away with the error of the wicked, false teachers, with friends who are in the world, going back into the wicked ways you used to be, you used to, the things you used to do before you got saved. That's what he's talking about. And, and, and he says, don't, that's a choice. Look, as a born-again believer, if you want to go out and get rip-roaring drunk tonight and do cocaine, you, you can do it and still be saved. I wouldn't want to be in your shoes if you did it because God's not going to let you get away with that for any long period of time. But you can choose to fall back into wickedness. You can go, you can go listen to false teaching. You can listen to, to teachers that want to tickle your ear. You can, you can fall back in any way you want to fall back to if you want to do it, that's a choice. But you've got to remain steadfast in your faith and not make that choice. Now, that's one remedy. The second remedy, and this is the, the remedy, really. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. He says it again. Our Lord. Our Lord. Lord, what's Lord? Our boss, our master and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how you get well. And you can't fix yourself because he says to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Paul says the same thing a little more succinctly over in Romans chapter 12. So hold your place in 2 Peter and go with me over to Romans chapter 12. Closer to the front of the New Testament. Romans chapter 12, it's a big book, you can find it. And look at what he's, I'm just going to look at the very first part of verse number 2. Romans 12, verse number 2. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You want to be healthy in Jesus Christ? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I mean, when he says don't be conformed to this world, he's saying the same thing Peter's saying. Don't fall back into wickedness. Don't let this world transform your soul. You know, we all know this. This, this, is seem, this is really pretty simple cure. We all know this, but then we go right back and we allow this world to transform us. We stick our heads in that boob tube and we keep it there. And we, and we read secular books and we, read, we go to the movies all the time. And look, there's, as I said last, uh, uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, it's all right to have a dessert every once in a while. It's all right to watch TV. It's all right to go to movies. It's all right to do some worldly things, to make a vacation. But you can't live there and expect to be a healthy Christian. If all you do is live in this world, you are going to be healthy because you're going to be 
transformed or conformed to this world, whether you like it or not. And that's what's happened to the church. I mean, the Methodists this week, you know, uh, elected a homosexual bishop. They're the next denomination. What are they doing when they're doing that? They don't really care about that homosexual. You know what they care about? Being conformed to the world. And if you're conformed to the world, you're going to be spiritually sick if you're not already dead. But be transformed by the renewing of, be metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our mind? We make our mind like Jesus Christ. Are we going to get that on television? No. How do we get it? We get it through being in the Word of God. That's how we renew our minds. That's how we're transformed. You know, John puts it another way in his little epistle. So go back to 2 Peter, if you held your place there. Go to the next book over, which is 1 John, which will be the book we'll be heading to when we finish 2 Peter. He sums up his book. And I have no doubt this was his intention. This isn't just a little precept he added at the end of the book. He sums up his book with one little sentence at the very end of his book. One little sentence. Little children, who are little children? Sick, weak Christians like us. Little children who haven't really matured in the faith, like maybe like the, he talks about grown men earlier in the chapter. Little children. That's me. I'm not trying to say I'm the mature Christian. I'm really mature, but not as a Christian so much. Right, Brenda? Amen, yeah. See, we, that's why... I, well, we get along good. Little children. George. Susan. Ron. You want me to name everybody in here? Roy for sure. <laughs> no, Roy, I'm teasing Roy. Little children, keep yourself from idols. You want to know how to fix your spiritual illness? There it is. Little children, keep yourself from idols. In other words, turn from this wicked world and the things that are conforming you to this wicked world and turn your eyes, put your eyes on those on Jesus Christ through those everlasting doors. They're there. They're open for you. And you're to look at him. And as you gaze on him, you're changed from glory to glory. Not from gory to gory like you are in this world. You're changed from glory to glory. You become more and more like Jesus. When you gaze upon him, and, when, and the only way you can gaze upon him is to put away your idols. The reason we're so sick is that we have so many idols, so many things that keep us from knowing Jesus, 
so many things that take our focus off of Jesus and rob us of a fruitful relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, what do we do? It's not complicated. We put away our idols. We put away our idols. An idol is anything that keeps you from the Lord. None of you are, some of you might be, but I don't think any of you are bowing down to little statues. If you are, you definitely need to quit doing that. But keep yourself from idols. But let me say this as we begin to wrap up. Go back to 2 Peter chapter 1. I don't care how healthy of a Christian you are. How healthy you are. You haven't arrived yet. You're not there yet. You know when you arrive as a Christian? When you realize you haven't arrived when you realize that it's only the Lord that can make you advance in these things. If you're a healthy Christian, you're advancing in all of these things. But the word advance, by its very nature, means that you're not there. If you've got to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, you're not there. You haven't arrived. And all these people that teach this perfectionist gospel, I don't know, they think they've arrived. They don't impress me that they've arrived. Because I'm going to tell you something. One day when you've arrived, you will realize that you have gone from this earth to glory. You are light years more perfect than you would ever have been on this earth. You're going to understand that because when you see Jesus, you're going to be like Jesus. And anybody tells me they're like Jesus, they're lying. You have, none of us are like Jesus. Not yet. But we should be advancing to the place where we're becoming more and more like Jesus. But there is an ultimate cure for what ails you. And that's what Peter's going to talk about next. And let's finish up just a few verses here. He says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. I'm going to nag you to death. Y'all probably think, boy, preacher, this is, you preach on this every week. I mean, why do you keep nagging us about these things? Well, as long as I'm in this flesh, I'm going to keep nagging you about these things. I will always, I'm not going to be, he says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in this present truth. You know what I'm telling you today. Every one of you know what I'm telling you today. I know what I'm telling you today. Keep yourself from idols. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Stay out of this wicked world. Don't be conformed by this wicked world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You, how many of you know that? And how many of you know you're going to be sick if you don't do that? All right, then, then he's going to keep reminding you. I'm going to keep reminding you. I'm going to keep reminding myself. Because I want us to advance. I want us, more than anything else, my heart for you is that you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Grace is very important. Because grace means that you grow, the more and more you grow in Christ, the more and more you understand Christ is, the, it's Christ in you, your hope of glory. But it's, it's all him. 
And because you know it's all him, the more you want to be with him, because the more you want to be transformed. But here's the really good news. There is an ultimate cure for what ails you. An ultimate cure. Yes, Peter says, I think it right as long as I am with you in this tent. I like that he uses this word tent. When I go camping in a tent, I don't go camping in a tent anymore because I hate tents. <laughs> I hear everything in the campground. I'm not scared of the bears, but I'm scared of the drunks and the other people you hear out there. So I, I, I hate tents. They, I have yet to find an air-conditioned tent. <laughs> and it gets hot and tense. And now at my age, I rent hotels. <laughs> Peter says, as long as I'm with you in this tent. What did he mean? This, th he didn't mean a good thing when he said that. What's he talking about? He's talking about his earthly body. And he, and he uses the metaphor of a tent. It's somewhere we're at because we got to be there right now because we want to see the scenery on this earth, but it, we ain't going to always be in that tent. There's coming a time when there ain't be any more tents. Just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Wasn't that cool when the Lord told him along the Galilee Sea that Peter, one day you're going to, today you go where you want to go and do what you want to do, but one day you're going to have to go where you don't want to go. And John said, by this, he spoke of his departure, his death. So Peter's saying, look, I'm not going to be here with you guys much longer. So I'm writing this book because I want to nag you after I'm gone. <laughs> Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Did you get it? What's the ultimate cure for what ails us? Decease. Goodness, Peter, couldn't you use a better word than that? I mean, that sounds pretty morbid. It sounds, sounds pretty terrible. You know why it sounds terrible? Because that's a terrible translation of the word. That's not the word he used. He used the word exodon, from which we get the word exodus. He says, wherever I will be careful to ensure you of these things, you always have these reminder of these things with this book I'm writing after my exodus. My exodus. Why do he use the word exodus? Because he knew every Jew and every Christian knew what the exodus meant. What was the exodus? The exodus was where the Jews were taken out of slavery and brought into supposedly the promised land, but the exodus itself was a great thing. Some people think of the exodus as bad. The exodus was fantastic because they were coming out of slavery into freedom with a life with God. Couldn't be any better than that. And that's what God intended for them. Now let me ask you a question. How many Jews, when the Red Seas parted and they crossed from Egypt into Sinai, how many Jews died in the Exodus? Zero. Peter wasn't talking about his, his death. He was talking about his Exodus. He wasn't dying. 
He was leaving this Egypt, this world, this place where we fight with sin and death and we're enslaved by these things into total, the total freedom that we have in Jesus Christ in glory. That's what he was talking about there. He said, I'm heading for my glory. You talk about a great thing, man. That, you know what Solomon says about your death, your exodus? It's better than your day of birth. It's a better day than your day of birth. I know, I'm not trying to tell you guys you need to die today. But boy, that exodus, if you know the Lord, is going to be a great and glorious day. A great and glorious day. Is Exodus easy? Was it easy for the Jews? I mean, how easy was it when they're walking through the bottom of the Red Sea on the, on the ground and they got a wall of water on one side and a wall of water on the other side and they've got Pharaoh's armies chasing them? And, and you don't, don't tell me they weren't afraid. They were very afraid. It was a scary thing, the Exodus. But it was a great thing. Let me ask you about Peter's exodus. You know how Peter exited this earth? Crucified upside down at the hand of Nero. It wasn't an easy thing, but it was a glorious thing. Because he left this earth for the other side. You know, I doubt your exodus is going to be easy either. It might be a frightening thing. But what a glorious day it's going to be when we leave this life of sin and death where the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh and we're constantly in battle in our minds and in our hearts and with the world and with the lust of the world and one day we're going to leave and when we leave we're going to be like him. Fully glorified. Just like him. Perfectly sinless. Just like him. A perfect thought life a perfect soul, a perfect heart, just like him. Because our exodus out of here is the ultimate cure for what ails us. So don't dread death so much. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the great truths you give us in your word, for the glorious future that you've promised us through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. We just thank you, Lord, that there's a cure for what ails us in our life now. And there's an ultimate cure, Lord, that we all look forward to the day that you call us home to be with you forever. Lord, we just ask in the meantime, Lord, that you make our souls uh, take this divine nature that you've given, this fertile ground that you've given us and help us to bear fruit uh, in this world. And Lord, and most of all, to be fruitful in our relationship with our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. We just ask all those things in his precious name. I pray, amen.